Hey everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode we talk about owls giving advantage in combat as well as role-playing your personality strengths. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, the PH is silent, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host Sir Lucian from Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello. Hello, good morning, good, good Saturday morning. morning. Nice out. to see, uh, we got Indoor Adventure here and Kang. So yeah, finally catching us live. Glad that you could catch us live. So this is awesome. Um, today, we are going to talk about the games that we play in and the discussion that comes up from that. Uh, so, but to start, um, I guess we should talk about some D&D news. Was there any D&D news? Oh, first of all, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's International Tabletop Day. So happy International Tabletop Day, and you guys should all go out and play a whole bunch of games today. I unfortunately am very busy after this, um, planning for my trip and what have you, so I can't go to my lo local gaming store. And I'm really upset about it, because I was just telling Sir Lucian that they're doing um, a mini painting class to learn how to paint minis, and you get to keep the mini that you paint and take it home. Um, I guess they hope that they're gonna sell supplies and stuff, but I was really bummed out because I wanna learn how to paint minis. I should turn on this light so that, yeah, we got more lights going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm going to head down to my game store and see what they've got going on. Last year, I went down, I bought a board game and got to play it throughout the year. It was pretty good. And I'll probably look for something uh, this year just to see, you know, kind of support the local game store and, you know, just games in general. But you don't have to just be in person. If uh, The first year I did International Game Day, I did it online where I played a bunch of games mm -hmm. and streams. Because if you go to stream today and you go to the Dungeons & Dragons tile for you will find all kinds of people streaming all day long today. Oh, sweet. Charity streams, um, guest streams. Um, one shots and stuff. Streams, one shots, celebrity streams. There's all kinds of stuff. So if you're into role play games and board games today, it's going to be a good day to, to find it. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be, it's just, I don't know. Like I know it's tabletop games in general, uh, not necessarily, but if role playing games, but if you're into role playing games, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on today. So um, sit back and watch some games. That's always fun. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah, there was um, a Lore You Should Know segment on the, the Dungeons & Dragons YouTube channel. Um, I did not catch this, but you seem to have thought it was interesting enough to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I always liked it. I mean, both of us keep an eye on, you know, kind of the D&D Beyond channel and then the Dungeons and Dragons channel YouTube, because if they stream stuff, they'll put the videos up and they've been really forward facing in the last year or two now with getting that media up. So they've got lots of good videos. So you see stuff from yeah. Mike Merles or Jeremy Crawford or Chris Perkins. And, and it's a lot of it is the, the Twitch stuff they do. They just kind of pour it over to YouTube, but like it's quality stuff. So yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, the production value has gotten really good. And so lore you should know is just stuff that they talk about within the game lore. And they talked about halflings, gnomes. And it was interesting because there's, they kind of dodged around the whole why is there halflings and why is there gnomes and when they're similar, but when they're, they're yeah, so different, similar. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they talk a little bit about that. And apparently, and the reason they brought it up in this one is Mordekainen's tome is coming out of foes and there's some more information in that. Um, mm -hmm. coming up so i think they're kind of pumping that out but the cool part about that that video if you if you stay to the end of it they talk about goofy adventures or humor in modules and somehow sometimes when they uh chris perkins talks about 
you know, modules that had no humor, modules that had some or maybe just the right amount of humor. And then they've done some modules that have just been on the crazy end. Mm -hmm. And it's funny to hear some of the stories of when they've gone absolutely just off the wall. Um, and it's funny because what it ends up happening is it's normally it involves science fiction bleeding into the fantasy. So they were talking about a module and I won't spoil it. You guys can go watch that video. Um, but they were talking about one of the, um, you go through this big long campaign. It's, it's all about underdark stuff. It's all about fighting and, and pretty dreary stuff. But by the end of it, you find out that the big bad guy is actually in a spaceship. And so they talk about how that sometimes throws or jarred the audience when you're going through this big fantasy world. And then all of a sudden there's this, you know, bring it in, but they talked about Spelljammer too, because they talked about how when Spelljammer came out, they put a lot of humor in it. And there were a lot of people that were taken aback from it or didn't like it as much because they mm -hmm. had giant space hamsters and they yeah. had, they had weird stuff in it that like that space uh, hippo is going to be in Morton Cannon's yeah. Tome of Foes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, so they talk a little bit about that. So I, I knew that would be something you'd be interested in hearing that little tidbit about that. So it's definitely cool. They, they definitely list out some modules that you can go back and look and see some of the humor. He talks a little bit about some of the humor in, in Curse of Strahd, even though it's not necessarily a humorous module, but there's a little bit in there and how they decide to put stuff in and how it's kind of the pendulum has swung one way or the other. As yeah, far as and on that, it reminds me of uh, the Chris Perkins video they made where he was talking about writing adventures. And his he was saying, like, don't try to write humor in your adventures um, because the humor will just happen at the table. Like, they they were like, we don't have to write jokes for D&D, &D, but if you can make the, the dungeon master laugh, like the guy that's reading the module, if you can make him laugh, that makes for an interesting module. And I, I don't know, now that you say that, it's just kind of like, yeah, that's exactly what Spelljammer is. Like it was not, not supposed to be taken super seriously, I think. It was just this fun, fun module of like, or world setting of like, we can bring everything together, but at the same time, we can also have all of these outlandish races and, and things like that and, and take our elves and give them space armada ships and stuff, so... Yeah, And then yeah, I was so thinking I was about the halflings and gnomes, because I always thought that halflings and gnomes were like humans and elves. You know, they're similar, but they're not the same in a way. And that halflings were kind of like the human side of it, and the gnomes were kind of the elf side of it, where they're more more focused on, like the elves are more focused on magic and nature and what have you, and the gnomes were more focused on tinkering and things like that. And I don't know. That's how I always kind of differentiated yeah. in my mind. Well, they talk about how the gnomes kind of change depending on what version you're in and mm -hmm. the influences of modern um, media at the time. Like there's a point where you can see the strong influence of the when the gnomes start to become tinkers yeah. is exactly when World of Warcraft was coming out and big and popular. So right, that's right, where right. That bleed in starts to come in. Um, but then before that, they're talking to animals, they're uh, commune with nature. They're kind of like because they're fake creatures, in some way. right? They're fake creatures yeah. in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot, but they have a lot of stuff to them. And it was funny. One other thing they said in that video um, is that when they started out, they're like, they kind of think about it and like, I don't know. I don't think we've ever said where halflings come from, how they were created. Like, so there's, you can find creation of orcs. You can find creation of humans. You can find creation of elves. You can find creation of every other thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you can find how the, uh, how the halflings were created anywhere so that was funny that they said that yeah in the stream. um 
from, now I'm just thinking back, I did a video on halflings and I think they were created by their halfling deity, Yo Yolanda, Yolanda. Um, but there isn't, um, like that's a theory. Yeah. That's a theory. Yeah. yeah like gnomes were, <laughs> and another theory for gnomes is that they were gemstones that were then created by Garl glitter gold, um, uh, into gnomes. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. And, and like emerald emeralds became forest gnomes and, and diamonds became another type of gnome and things like that. But, um, no halflings don't have that super fun history except in dark sun. I believe they have, um, a pretty, pretty uh, complex history because they were like the rulers of the world for a long time before the the before the world just kind of got destroyed in dark sun yeah they they, they mentioned that in the video a tiny bit how that how they're very different in that one setting yeah um, than than any of the other settings so i thought that was kind of cool yeah so it's just a fun it's just an interesting video because it's stuff on we take for granted as we know like as dungeons and dragons players we're like, we know about halflings. We know about gnomes. We know mm -hmm. how all this stuff works. And then to think about it and go, oh, wait a minute. No, there is some mystery there that we don't know about, even though we've yeah. been playing this game I mean, forever. not to sit here and promote my own YouTube channel, but that's like why I started the YouTube channel as well is because there's this rich history, but I'm like, where, where did all these come from? Like, where did the gods come from? How did the earth get made? And I, I that's why that was my quest is to find out how all that worked because I was curious. Um, yeah. And it's, it's been retconned a lot and it's been changed around. Um, it'll be interesting because in Mordekainen's foe, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to make, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're trying to make, um, history. Like they want to make mythology, but they don't want to make like binding mythology. Like all dwarves are like this or all rock gnomes are like this. They kind of want to make this open-ended. You can do with it what you want, but here's, here's why dwarves are stubborn. Like we, cause that's an archetype of dwarves and we kind of want to make them like, here's why they're stubborn. And they can also be not stubborn, but they kind of, they're, they're stubborn and lawful and they kind of tend towards that side of things. And this might be why. And so they have a really cool opportunity and, and we'll see, they might change a lot of lore. Uh, my YouTube channel might be obsolete after Mordekin and Stomophos come out. We'll see, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Mike, uh, Mike Merles did a video this week too that was talking about how they've they were talking about the pantheon and how they were building gods and how they've switched from um, talking more about mythology uh, than it was the pantheon. So they they wanted it to be more about mythical stories and like you just said, giving you kind of the typicalness of them so that when you create characters that are different, you have the reason of why it could be different or in your world, you can change why the dwarves do this or why the elves do that. Right. Instead of like you said, just saying this is what they do and that's it, you know? Yeah. And, and it has to work that way. If they're going to introduce more of their settings, if they want to bring some of that stuff back, they've got to have the link in there that, that allows us to just, uh, uh, suspend disbelief that hey there's only one world and it's called forgotten realms right yeah yeah they need to lay the seeds of no 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 there's lots of worlds out there there's forgotten realms there's planescape there because if they want to bring all that stuff in that yeah. people love they've got to have a way that it's a multiverse and we believe it's a multiverse yep. and i think that's the idea and then not only are forgotten realms etc but also your homebrew world can be part of this too um, and, and I think that's yeah. the idea that this multiverse is like everybody who plays D and D is actually creating it at some point, because we're all kind of yeah. using the same building blocks. Um, we're just changing things around, you know? So yeah. really cool stuff. Yeah. I love lore. I can talk. I just, 
that's why I started my YouTube channel. I love mythology. It's so fun. Yeah, we've got about two-ish weeks, maybe three-ish weeks for the new book to come out. So yep. it's coming pretty quick. And I'm sure we'll be talking a bunch about that on the lead up and even on the day of probably. Or the oh, weekend. yeah. Um, yeah, I might have to. Well, I'll, I'll have to see. The last time I tried to get a book at my local gaming store, they were all sold out. Um, so I had to end up getting it on Amazon like a couple weeks later. But it would be nice to get it right when I it comes out. So. Yeah. And then we could do a whole show on it and talk about it and flip through the oh, book and so. stuff. That would yeah. be fun. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, so that what did the stuff I saw? Oh, uh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. The last note I put in there you're about to read was I did want for those of you that are game testers or those of you who keep up with the Unearthed uh, Arcana articles, which is funny because before Xanathar's Guide came out. I was like super into Unearthed Arcane and finding all the new classes and, and keeping up on it. But once that came out, like I was like, oh, okay, I have all these new subclasses. I'm cool. I, I haven't been checking that website as much lately. But for those of you, they have the testing out there that is the order domain, um, a new domain for clerics. It ties into some of the videos that we've been talking about over the last few weeks and that they've done on their channel. And so if you want to fill out the survey and give any, any of your feedback, you can go to the Unearthed Arcana website and fill that out That's yeah i really have never i mean i've played with unearthed our kind of stuff but i've never filled out one of their surveys because i never felt like i played enough with it you know like i feel like you'd need like three or four sessions to be like okay this is blatantly broken or this needs to be changed but um i don't know i that would be fun to play more of those because then you're kind of on the cutting cutting room or cutting edge of all this this new stuff coming out yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to keep a little bit more up on it because I want to start designing something. And I right. think by seeing it from that part of the process will help later on when I get to my process of trying to build and design something. So I've been trying to kind of keep up on it and think of ways. How do you test something adequately if you don't necessarily have a full session to run? Type mm -hmm. thing too, where you just maybe do scenarios or you do theory crafting or you do some number crunching kind of things and, and see mm -hmm. what, it, what it feels like. But I think you're right. I think you need sessions to really know how it's going to play out. But yeah, but yeah, that that's a, true. So I think that's that's our news, I think. Well, what did you do in games this week? What's going what's on your mind? <laughs> well, I'm uh, finishing up. I'm still prepping a one shot for subscribers this this month. I kind of got to finally get it done on the last couple of days of the month here, and it's the Sky of Swords uh, one shot. I've got um, five players in it. It's going to be pretty fun. That's sweet. Um, the the two things I wanted to cover in it was I I wanted to do a session where none of the characters had met each other and I've told them not to tell each other on Discord where they're making their characters not to talk about what class or race they are because I really wanted to lean into this first meeting of these heroes coming together scene and really dive into that mm -hmm. you know, good or bad or whatever because normally when I run campaigns it's I kind of skip over that part just to get into the meat of it just like No, you want them to you guys have known. Yeah, you're your yeah. friends, you know each other, you've been adventuring for like a year so that we can kind of skip introductions and just get to the yeah. meat and potatoes of the adventure, yeah. Yeah, but I think it's important sometimes to explore all the facets. Like you just try it all the different ways. So I was thinking I haven't done this very much, so that's something I want to accomplish with this one shot. And I, and I like to use my one shots to test things, you know, just test ideas I've had or, or try to practice something I haven't done before. The other thing I wanted to do was this idea that it's, it's kicking my butt a little bit, but it's this idea of a low level character that's been given a, a very strong, powerful, magical artifact and how that screws things up. 
Um, so we're about to see how that's going to work. There's <laughs> level characters where they're going to have artifact level weapons. And right. Who knows what that's going to do to the actual sessioning, how, how fun it'll be to play. But that we'll sounds see. fun, so, though. Like, I like that yeah, idea. Just try it out. <laughs> they're really into it because I told them that the, the one thing they could discuss or talk about or, or reveal to the other players and to me was I allowed them to choose the shape of the sword, what type of sword it was, what it looked like and what it was made out of. They don't know the powers. Um, now you say sword, but do you mean weapon or are they all swords? No, I told them a sword. It's five okay. swords. So it's called, that's why it's called the Sky of Swords. Okay. And five swords were, were built for a purpose, and these are the five heroes that have them now. Um, so it's going to be interesting. And there are people that maybe not even... They, that was one of the things they kind of struggled with because they were like, well, one of my characters doesn't even have a proficiency in sword. I'm like, don't worry. It's an artifact-level sword when you pick it up you gain proficiency with sword mm -hmm. whatever one it is so you know you can use whatever whatever one you want so they've had a lot of fun coming up with what their sword is going to be and what it looks like what it's made out of they went out and on online and found art for it and they're all get pretty geeked and jazzed up about that so that's pretty good it reminds me of my my campaign here like i i went out and bought um i think a sword is a d8 damage or yeah long sword is and I went out and I bought multicolored D8s and I put them on the, the battle mat in a, in a puzzle. And basically the players had to choose which D8 they wanted. Like the, and they were multicolored swords. So there'd be like a red sword and a black sword and a white sword. And depending on the swords they picked, they then had battles that corresponded to those swords. So like the red one was a vampire or something. And then the sword had a vampiric quality to it. And the white one healed you or could cast cure wounds on you. And they had to fight a unicorn. Um, and so there was all these different, different fights and it was just kind of fun. I like designing yeah, cool. uh, magic items. I think magic items are really fun to design in the game. And so I ended up making like 10 swords and they used only four of them, but <laughs> It was fun. I should have you sent me that because I'm still trying to build all mine. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I probably still have my notes somewhere and I can forward that off to you. <laughs> yeah. So so that was my our Monday night. We uh, we streamed it. I've recorded it. I still need to make some um, edits to it before I put it up on YouTube, but I will put it up on YouTube here eventually it's for those of you that might have missed it. It is in the VODs of Twitch if you want to check it out there. Sweet. Uh, we did play our Tuesday night game, which is Tomb of Annihilation Adventure League version online on Anaris's channel. Pretty fun session. Um, we got back to town early on, and it turned into a big kind of shopping session. So um, for me as a DM and me as a player, those are the one sessions that I hate the most. Mm. Um, I think other people like them and I think there's, they're valuable and it's fun to do that. I think some people find it fun to do, but for me, I don't know why it's the one thing I don't like to do in my games. I like, I just want them just, just buy what you need and let's, let's move on. Let's get yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's just, and I know there's plenty of RP opportunity there. There's plenty of storyline stuff that can happen and character development, but I'm just like, I'm always like, let's just get back into it. So I got to work on on my attitude on that. I think a little bit. Yeah, no, there was a. I was. I've been listening to Critical Role, and they have a couple episodes where they're just shopping and they're haggling, and I'm like, this is so boring. Like, I mean, I mean <laughs> yeah. Critical Role is great and all, but like, th it's just really boring to listen to them be like, well, how about ten gold persuasion check, and yeah. back and forth, and I'm like, ah, it's just kind of like. 
I, I, when I go shopping, I want it to be really quick. And so it's like yeah. w- with my players, I'm just like, I've got a book that has like, here's what you find in shops. That's how much it costs. There's no haggling or anything. It's black and white. If you want this, it costs 500 gold, et cetera. And then they just know, and we get through shopping really quick. They stock up back on supplies in 10, 15 minutes. And then we're back in the adventure. Yeah, I would have thought that would have been the way with the Adventure League, but when you're prepping for an expedition in the jungle, our players agonized over how many water skins should we bring? Right. Uh, do we need four? Well, maybe we should make five, you know? And it was just going back and forth. And I was just like, okay, guys, just, I'll, I'll, I'll wait till you're done. But yeah, it was like, that's funny. They were super careful um, about planning how, how many rations are we going to take, how far are we going? So it took them quite a while, but... That's okay. That just sometimes happened. We finally got in the canoe and we started racing down the river and it was, uh, it was pretty fun. Um, so that's pretty good. Uh, it was fun to play that. I like it when we don't miss a session. So that's uh, to get into it. It feels like we're finally getting into the storyline more um, as we're hearing more stuff and seeing more things happening. So hopefully we keep diving into Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, Borderlands went... That's my Thursday night game. Uh, Pre-West Marches type style game. We did have a player not show up um this has been the one where every these guys have been rabid players and wanting to play as much as they could but um i guess one of our players i think it was because it was the football draft was going on nfl football draft oh. going on. <laughs> and that's a big thing for you know lots of different people and yeah. uh so we had one we were one player down so in the west marches game i forced them that if they're going to have a player missing they have to go back to town drop that player off before they can decide what else they're going to do. Um, Cause I don't want to play a session where the player's not there. And if they're going to play, I want them to play. I don't want anybody botting the character or I'll just play it for them or, or me, the DM will play it in this one campaign. I do it in my other campaigns where I'm just like, well, we'll just let somebody play that character. But on this one, I kind of put my foot down and said, Nope, you've got to take it back. You've got to mm. drop them off. He, I, we just created a quick little, hey, there's been a sickness going on in the camp. He's the cleric. He's going to stay and try to figure out why half of our workers at the camp have, have become sick. You guys can decide what you're going to do while he's taking care of that. And then they went off an adventure. So finally, they kind of got over it and they decided, because they were wishy-washy. They were like, well, why don't we just wait for the cleric? Maybe we won't run the session tonight. And then they were finally like, no, 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 no. We want to play D&D. We're here. Let's do this. So they were mm-hmm. like, okay, we go back out. And uh, they decided they want to approach the orcs faction to see if they could maybe turn them into allies, which I finally was hoping they were going to do. Um, and was pretty good, but they got attacked by spiders again. And that poison damage on spiders nearly wiped yeah. them out again. Um, that's a very deadly thing. Were these to the hit face spiders? Or... Well, these were giant. Okay. So it's a 2d8, and you get a DC 11 roll on it. Um, which most of the time they make, but their roles were horrendous. Yeah. Right. Going back to last week where just those dice rolls can turn a regular encounter into super deadly encounter. Yeah. And it was crazy because we, we had probably about a six round fight and I hit all but one time in one round, every creature I rolled to hit, hit every single time, everybody. Wow. So they were just taking damage after damage after damage and they were really getting beat up, but they pulled, they pulled through it and they got through it. So it was pretty good. Um, thanks Garza for subscribing. And I saw indoor send us some cheer bits. So that's cool. Thanks hey, yeah. That. Thanks guys. Um, so that was good, but there's something that did come up in the, in the session. I always like to bring something up that helps GMs 
running the sessions. And the one thing, uh, do you, have you played with or have you done this with any of your wizard characters? Have a familiar of the owl? No, but my Adventure League game, uh, the Eldritch Knight had a familiar owl that he was using to, I think, what you're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's one of the few familiars, and I haven't gone through all the different familiars that you can get out of, right out of the player's handbook, but this one has an ability. Owl has a swoop ability that allows it to um, basically disengage while it moves so mm -hmm. that it can't be attacked when it flies. Yeah, no flies reaction out. attacks, right? Or attacks of opportunity. Right. right, and it's allowed to use, do that during the aid action or the help action. So we had this situation where my, my wizard has that, and we're trying to figure out how that looks on the map, right? Because the familiar has its own initiative order, different than the wizard. It's going to fly by and help somebody, but if its turn is like it rolled a high initiative and it starts at the top of the turn, it was like towards the bottom of the turn, the person that was going to help was way at the bottom of the turn. It just felt weird to have an, uh, an owl go through help action, but there was nothing happening for round, you know, for, um, you know, spider would go, all these other things would happen. People mm -hmm. would be moving, shifting, and then all of a sudden now you're supposed to be able to help with it. So it felt really weird to me and disjarring. Um, but I think we finally figured out, I think some people are doing this wrong. I think a mm -hmm. lot of people might be doing the rule wrong, the help action. So I've looked it up. I went over Jeremy's um, Twitter account to make sure I got it. <laughs> and the thing is, <clears throat> because it's listed under the player's handbook, it says when you do an aid action or a help action and it's a skill, um, you choose your, your person who you're attempting to aid. You give a narrative reason. And if it's valid, then they get advantage on their role. And that's where that's how the paragraph starts in the player's handbook. It then the second paragraph says also if you would like to help or aid in combat, then you can do that and you can give the the next you know you can give the very next attack advantage. What I think a lot of people and what I did mistakenly I thought that meant because the first paragraph said you had to choose your t you had to choose who you were helping. You had to say hey. I'm helping Jordan's fighter. I'm giving Jordan's fighter advantage on his next attack on right. the creature. But that's not necessarily what it's saying because it's the, the second next paragraph, attack in general, it's the very next attack okay. against the creature. So I have to say the owl flies by uh, spider A, and whoever attacks it next receives the aid from the owl and gets advantage on that attack. It, I, it may be Jordan or it could be somebody else. Yeah. Depending. I think also people, because I know that I've seen some groups do this where they don't roll a separate initiative for their familiar as well. So then the wizard is just like, well, I, and that's why those wizards take that owl because they'll, okay, it's my turn. Owl swoops in, does the help action. I get advantage on my witch bolt attack and then owl swoops out. And that's not yeah. how it works either because your owl's on a separate initiative and has to be in order to, well, it doesn't have to, I guess if you want to home rule it, whatever, but like that balances the game a little bit more because it is kind of broken to see, well, not broken necessarily, but there's kobolds that get advantage on everything with pack tactics and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think what, what sometimes stalls me out in my games is when we're looking at a rule and I read the rule, but what's happening on the board as far as you're moving the miniatures or your tokens around mm -hmm. and you're seeing the action lay out, but the action of the moves doesn't represent in your head what's really going on, that jars me. Like, 
that the idea that the owl swoops in and he's 60 feet away, but now three things happen, the spider moves, but then somebody still gets advantage on that spider, but the owl's 60 feet mm-hmm. away and it's not sinking in was drives me crazy a little bit. And so I think what I wanted to do is I'm thinking about home ruling it a little bit because I'm thinking about allowing, because I don't want to take that. You're going to get advantage on one attack. That's the whole point of it. And I'm not going to try to find a way for you not to have advantage on the one attack. You get the advantage on the one attack. The second thing that's important about that is that they don't get a reaction attack. So as it swoops by, I'm not able just to swat it out of the sky with reaction. And I get that. I don't want to take that away. But I want the action of the help to happen right when whoever's going to use that help is ready to go. So I'm thinking about what I want to do is I want them to use, I want them to be able to use um, hold action yeah, for their help on their familiar and say, your trigger is when I see Jordan's fighter about to fight, the, that triggers the owl swoop in aid on that creature, whoever he attacks. Because I don't know who Jordan's going to attack. Jordan could attack Cobalt A or Cobalt B, and I don't want to guess which one. Mm-hmm. I so the trigger would be the owl is going to swoop in when Jordan goes to swing his sword, and then it all falls in line narratively. It all falls in line on the map. It all yeah. falls in line in your mind, and it still gives you all the exact benefits that you want, and doesn't take anything away at all. So I think that might be my home rule for that because I want to I want to sync what's actually happening visually and thematically with what the rule is hap- is letting you do. Yeah, no, it makes sense. What game is this that you have an owl in again? That's our Borderlands game. That's your Borderlands game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The wizard has a familiar owl and he, he's, he's a min maxer. Let me tell you about my min maxer that I got going on here. Not only did he do that, because he went online to find out what the best uh, familiar is. Uh, And obviously everybody talks about the owl. Yeah. Yeah. He also did, um, he took the feet luck so he could change dice. He's a divination wizard so that he gets portent, which means he rolls two 20s at the beginning of every single day and he can switch and swap those out. Plus he has three luck points. Plus he has this, familiar. I mean, he's totally min-maxing his wizard <laughs> as much as he possibly can. Tons of shield spells, spell slots. I mean, he's just, he's going full out on it. So it's pretty funny. Um, so he's always got something crazy. Yeah, yeah. Mind. That's fun though. Yeah. Yeah, in my last campaign, he played the the Paladin Smite Machine, which was you know the crazy uh, shield bash smiting, drop them down so they're prone. So now you get um, advantage on your attack, mm-hmm. then do the smites and just lay them in there and great weapon stuff. And it was just crazy. He always is min maxing something, so it's pretty funny. <laughs> And I was thinking about the same thing. Don Seeker said, ha, my wizard has those exact same things. Plus he's a halfling, which is another thing that could give you right. stuff that could re-roll. And I thought <laughs> about the same thing. I thought, why not just go for the full thing? Let's just go halfling, divination wizard, owl familiar, let's just, and luck feet. Let's just go for it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was my stuff i did in dungeons and dragons and game playing obviously it was all dungeons and dragons pretty soon it's not going to be just all dungeons and dragons i'm really making an effort to start playing some other games um i'm getting closer to that happening but just not quite yet uh the only other thing i was going to mention um is that next saturday uh we're going to have an interview uh we're going to lose jordan for a show i believe yeah just just one one. i'll be gone next week Okay, he's because maybe two, maybe two. I mean, he doesn't think ninety-eight yeah, yeah. percent sure I'll be back. 
<laughs> yeah, so we're going to lose him for one. So I'm, I have contacted uh, Jim Murphy, good friend of Matt Coville's and somebody I've been wanting to interview for a very long time. Um, and we're going to have him on the show, and we're going to get to talk about old school D&D and some other cool stuff. So we're going to bring in another old school D&D here and just talk D&D and, and all kinds of stuff. So hopefully everybody can show up for that too. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So I will Jordan have to weekend? catch the VOD, but yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to watching it. So, <laughs> yeah, your show notes are interesting on what you're about to talk about. So I can't wait to get into this. Oh yeah. Well, okay. So let's see. I should remember what I'm what I'm writing about. Um, Numenera. Numenera has been a lot of fun. Um, I have discovered, and I it's weird. Oh, say so. What I'm about to say is weird. I don't think I'm a good role player. Like I, I like D and D or I love D and D I should say. Um, I'm a dungeon master, but when it actually comes to like role playing a character that I've made, I think it's easier for me to be NPCs. Cause I kind of just like give them a scruffy voice and go and jump into it. And they don't have to have like motivation or things. They're just NPCs. But when I'm playing a character, I'm always like, well, what is, what is this character? And specifically, I play Ari on Numenera. And I think about Ari, like, Ari's kind of, I didn't start out this way, but he's kind of dim-witted. Like, we, we've kind of just established that he gets kind of pushed around a little bit. And rather than asking Ari, like, what he wants to do, they kind of just point him in the direction with his hammer. And they're like, go that way and attack this. Um, which has been really fun. And it's been a funny group dynamic that Ari kind of gets pushed around. But I want to ask more questions is really what it comes down to. Like if Ari is this level of, of stupid, then he's not going to ask X, Y, and Z. He's not going to fish for information. He's kind of, kind of just a, a fly on the wall. And that hasn't been interesting. So for the last, I want to say three or four games we've played, maybe just three games. Um, I've really been like, well, Ari wouldn't do this. So I'm not going to say this or Ari wouldn't do that. So I'm not going to say this, even though I really wanted to ask the monologuing villain for more information. I wanted to ask the NPCs for more information. I wanted to take initiative. And so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Like, I feel like I'm a bad role player and, and I don't know how to make Ari interesting without being more like myself. So I switched it around. The last show we did, I decided, uh, screw it. I'm going to throw all of this like Ari, Ari is X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to throw all that away, and I'm going to play how Jordan wants to play. So Jordan wants to ask a bunch of questions. Jordan wants to like figure things out. And all of my players, or all of my, uh, my yeah, my the players in the game, across the board at the end of the day, we're just like, man, Jordan, you really stepped up the role playing. Like it was awesome. You were, you were so engaging. You were doing this and da da da. And I feel like I was limiting myself by, well, I was limiting myself 100%. Um, and for example, uh, Ari is, um, a miner, so he knows like stone stuff. And so we were looking at like a, a coffin and normally I don't do a lot of things, but I was like, we got this like stone coffin. And I said, I want to take like a little hammer that I have because I'm a miner and I want to like tink around on the other side to see if it's hollow. And they're like, okay, it's hollow. And I'm like, all right, I want to like, I want to break it. And they're just like, whoa, don't break it, don't break it. And I was like, no, 
I think if Ari thinks it's hollow and we've and there's nothing on the inside of it, he definitely wants to see what's on the inside, and so he's going to break it. And so that was a choice I made while they were arguing about whether we should or should not get into this. I just like slammed my huge hammer on top of it and broke it open. And it turns out that there was um, like a, an elevator on the inside, and it took us down to another area. Um, it now that I'm saying it out loud, it didn't 100% happen like that. So if you watch Numenera, you're probably like Jordan, you're lying. But more or less, <laughs> um, it was it was this contest where we didn't know if we should break inside or not, and then I finally just took the initiative and broke it. So I don't know. It's and I'm I'm noticing this with my Adventure League game too. That's a little harder to role play because you don't you're not playing with the same people all the time, so you can't get a, get that like repertoire back and forth, but. What I'm trying to say through this long convoluted process is that just play to your strengths, like play to your personality. And I think that character will be more engaging and more interesting than if you are, if you try to limit yourself in, in role play aspects. Cause for the longest time I felt like I was not good at role play. And now I'm like, well, what if I just, what if I just play Jordan, um, and see where it goes and I'm still limited in the aspect that like Ari's a minor, so he's not going to be doing like extra weird Numenera stuff, like looking at the stars and things like that. Um, but you play to your personality strengths. So Jordan is inquisitive. Um, Jordan is um, like I should have been uh, a mage or something in Numenera because I like to think tactically like that. And Ari oh, isn't really a tactical thinker like that, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I thought that of myself in the last couple of games I played in mm-hmm. and I wasn't the DM that I have made great characters, but I have not played them well. Yeah, that's kind of um, how I feel. I play them optimally. I'm super smart on decisions. I'm super effective on what it's supposed to do, but there's not a lot of character to them yeah <laughs> even mclancy waddle with yeah. like i love um El- elgath the the yeah. leviatar cleric but and and he's like you know uh mathematically like he's really interesting and and he's got this and not even mathematically but he's got this really cool goddess and he's got this cool backstory and i did all of that but when we're actually playing i'm just like i don't know i hit it i guess like yeah. i i just don't feel like I'm as salt like I don't know you watch a lot of stuff online and there are just people that are really good at role play and they get a really big kick out of it and they feed off of each other really well and I'm not sure I'm that type of person um yeah and it's weird we do it as GMs with the NPCs and explaining our world mm-hmm. and we get our players really into it. Like if you talk to my Borderlands game, they're like, this is the best game I've ever played and everything is so crazy and cool and the things you're showing us and telling us. And yet when I play a character, it's just, you know, it's just kind of me sitting there. It's like, ah, my guy walks over there yeah. and does that. But I think there's a, there's a little bit of that. So it's uh, I find that funny because I feel like th- there is a style of gameplay that I think is popular now, which is the role play a character like role play a personality Mm -hmm. okay but that's not the only way to play role play games too there's there's this idea that even before it wasn't about a personality or a very strange or comical character or whatever it was just about you create a character and you played that character with as much detail in his mind and trying to win the best way that you could. And it wasn't about voices. It wasn't about cosplaying. It wasn't about that. And not to say that that's the right way and it's not, it's just, Mm -hmm. there are many ways to play. And I think don't 
talk yourself out of which way you play because others are doing something, right? So if everybody shows up to the thing cosplaying and that's what they love to do, don't feel like that's how you have to show up to play. I mean, uh, you right. can play role-playing games the way you want to play what's fun for you too. Yeah, There's all kinds of right ways to play, even if you're not the person that can do the voices, you're not the person that can you know, do the, do the different things. Now saying that, leading into that, there's all kinds of different ways. I do think you can make some choices that are bad or are not going to be very fun at the table. And I'll give uh-huh. you an example. The, the best one is this. You create this character and you come up with this cool concept that they're quiet. Yeah. They're brooding. And they always like to sit in the back corner and they always watch. But when you go to play that, you're not engaging in the storyline at all. Yes, you are the brooding character, but you're not talking to your players at the table. You're not engaging, like you said, talking to the monologuing mm-hmm. bad guy. You're not getting him any more information. You've painted yourself into a corner yeah. if you're going to stick to your guns on that character choice to say, I don't talk. I don't really like to talk. To You've people. set yourself up for a very passive play when the game needs to be active. Like everybody yeah. can't just be the brooding hero that's like one word answers and you kind of like do little like scuffs and stuff uh, yeah. with your voice. Like you have to have, you need to be active. And I think that's actually exactly what I did with Ari. Like I made him a passive character by making him stupid. And that's like, oh, well Ari wouldn't understand that. So I'm not gonna say anything. Um, but how much fun did I have like 10 times more fun when I made Ari an active character and I was actually engaging in stuff and my players noticed it. They were saying, or my, yeah, I keep saying my players, but they're not my players as in <laughs> I'm running the game, but they're the players in the game, but they were noticing it. They were like, I was, I was intuitive and I was coming up with some theories and stuff about, um, this hollow, uh, coffin and, um, one of the players, Wylock, was even just like, is that something Ari would think? And I had to step back and be like, no, I think now that I've made this choice, that that is definitely something that Ari would think. Like, he's, he's, he knows X, Y, and Z, and so he's going he's gonna to deduce that this is hollow and that there's something else here. Like, he's not I, – I, sh- I shouldn't have made him an idiot because it's more interesting when he's not, you know, yeah. when he's in, yeah. an active player, I guess. So I think that's the, the 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 lesson I think all of us get to take from it is um, you can do characters if, if they're like you want to play to a stat. I've got a character that sent me a message about the Sky of Swords thing. When he rolled, he has four stats that are in negative one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, you know, that's going to be tough to kind of play a hero that has four stats that are that low. But he's like, no, I want to really try to role play this. And I'm like, OK, well, let's run with it. Mm-hmm. But I want to just caution, and I, and I kind of said to them, just you can play a dumb character. You can play a very undexterous character. You can play a very uncharismatic character. You can play a very weak character if their strength is really low. But still do it in a way that's engaging yeah. your party members and the world around you and is fun for you. Don't do it if it's not fun for you. Because if you're not having fun playing the character, that's the quickest way to be not engaged in the game and to take away from the other players that are around you. Because if you're just kind of sitting back and not really doing anything and it's, you want to, but your character wouldn't, that's, that's agony. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that was exactly it. Like I would want to do something, but I'm just like, my character wouldn't. And that's really rough. There was, um, gosh, there was a role or a podcast that I listened to called, I think critical hit. 
Um, and they're a fourth edition podcast. And so way back when fourth edition was still more popular, I was listening to critical hit and they have a, a guy that plays a really dumb half orc in, on that show. And he, he, and it just reminds me, there was an episode where he was even complaining afterwards. He's like, I've role played myself into a corner because I am stupid that I can't ask the questions that nobody else is asking at the table. Like, yeah. I want to know what's the deal with the magical sword. But it's like he wouldn't he wouldn't think about the magical sword other than like, oh, we got a shiny trinket. And it's kind of like, ah, uh, it's just really I don't know. Play. Yeah. play I guess my point is play to your strengths. Like if you're, if you, if you, uh, like to play inquisitive characters, be inquisitive, you know, if you like to be more passive players, I guess, because I have a, I have a player at my table who is kind of more passive, but I give him moments to shine as a DM. And that's, that's a whole nother topic of conversation, like pulling those players out of their, their comfort zone, I guess. Yeah. And it's not that you can't find uh, agrippa said it really well is that there will be people who find a way to play like a, an intelligence score of six really well like if you've got it set in your mind and you've got this character down you're like oh this is gonna be so good because i can play i can make goofy jokes or i can mm-hmm. all this kind of weird stuff that and, it, and that's and it's fun to you in your head it sounds fun and when you do it at the table it's fun then it's great because you're having fun you're working into it so it's not like we're saying don't play suboptimal characters. Oh yeah, traits. no, not at all. What we're saying is don't play a suboptimal trait if you don't find it fun to play that. Yeah. If it's you that doesn't find not being able to ask questions, then don't play a dumb yeah. character. If it's you that doesn't find bumbling around and stumbling over stuff fun, then don't play a character that has a dexterity of six or something. Like, and you know, play, and yeah. flaws make characters. Like characters more yeah. are more interesting with flaws. So don't don't feel like you can't have any flaws but um, don't limit yourself by those flaws, I guess, that you've given yourself. And I just keep yeah. going back to, because that's what I'm familiar with, but like Ari is stupid. Like we're, we'll, he's still getting pushed around. He's still not like the, the brightest star out there, but um, he had a moment of clarity and he, he came into this all because he was a miner and he understood stonework and he understood things like that. So I, I, you know, leveraged that to kind of give him this moment of, Oh, actually he knows a bunch of stuff. But if you start asking him like, which way's North, he might not know. <laughs> like he, you know, lived underground. And so he follows the rest of the, the pack when it comes to something like that. So. Yeah. All characters should have flaws too. play a flaw that you enjoy playing. Mm-hmm. So if your flaw is, stumbling around if your flaw is saying the wrong thing if your flaw is misinterpreting things if your flaw is even if you're 18 intelligence but you're kind of arrogant about it that's your flaw you know yeah. or whatever yeah playing a flaw is fun and adds depth to your character when you can do it but just pick one that is fun for you don't pick yeah. one that you're not gonna have fun playing yeah exactly so yeah so that was uh numenera it was kind of this eye-opening experience i'm sad i won't be able to play the next two numenera games um but uh the season finale for numenera is coming up and i think we're all going to dress up like ari's got a robotic arm so i'm going to wrap my arm in tinfoil or something um it's been it's been a lot of fun uh it'll be it'll be nice to have my monday nights back because my weekends or my weekdays have gotten really busy with work and so adding in this one extra game has been kind of like okay i've got to do three three hours of numenera and then the next day i've got you know meetings and stuff for work so it'll be nice to have uh, a couple days off and we'll see maybe we'll keep playing after that um i don't know it's saver dice does seasons so once we finish like a season um i think the the characters change and the players change so 
And then yeah. for Adventure League, um, I'm trying to remember what we did. Uh, we had a lot of fun with Adventure League, but I guess the thing that I wanted to talk about, which was frustrating, is we did a bunch of like combat in Adventure League, but the DM decided to place us as far away from combat as we probably could be, like um, square-wise. Like he gridded it out, and he he didn't think about this when he did it, but he's just like, okay, yeah, like the monsters are here, you guys are here. Um, the party was split up, so there was a wizard and a ranger, and then the rest of us, there were like five of us that were super, super far away. We spent the majority of that fight just using the dash action to to catch up, and it got me thinking. I was like, can't we can't we just move this along? Like, can't we say, okay, now you see them, you're about twenty feet away, so we can get to the nitty gritty of this. But instead, it was we were like like a hundred feet away, and it was just like, okay, Jordan dashes sixty next time. Okay, Jordan dashes another sixty. Okay, now the orcs moved. Okay, Jordan dashes yet again to catch up to these stupid orcs so that I can do anything. And by the time I got there, I was the only person who knew cure wounds, so I was running around just picking up people from the floor that had that had fallen down. But it was, uh, I don't know. If you're a DM, get your players to the action faster because that was that was just really frustrating. But yeah, yeah, I've struggled with that um, in our Storm King's Thunder with our Ranger because. One of the things that I was worried about that happened, I thought, was that I was starting the combats, like you just said, pretty close. Mm-hmm. And I think the ranger was feeling a little put out because she has a longbow that can fire 240 yards. Oh, wow. I was, always <laughs> starting, I was always starting the fight in pretty short ranges. Yeah. And she wants to be firing from pretty far out range. And that's technically a valid way to play yeah. a very long range character. And she should feel powerful in that long range character, but you're right. You have to be careful because to provide that, you know, that they can fire that far away. Mm -hmm. There's other characters that are melee, like the, the, the dwarf barbarian who moves 25 feet unless he dashes, which is only 50. Yeah. It takes him four rounds to even get to where he can swing somebody. So I was struggling with how do I still allow the long range people to feel powerful at the long range? And cause they wanted to be able to, damaged them things before they got to them right the idea was put a little hurt on them before those things charged after us right but we had some fights where those things didn't charge them they were staying back and that's where it really came out and i think so it is kind of weird to juggle um and none of us had ranged uh so i'll give you an example yeah oh go ahead uh, well in our adventure league i'm having kind of the opposite problem in my head i haven't talked to anaris about it yet he's my gm but he starts us every combat. We're in the center of the map and everything is like 10 feet from us every single time. So we start like almost in hitting distance. Yeah. They got the drop on you is what it feels like. Yeah. Even when they didn't though, like even when we've got the drop on them or whatever, it's just all of a sudden we're within 10 feet and we have no chance to maneuver or place our characters in a certain way or try to get some movement going on. It's just like, we're just there in a clump and Mm -hmm. fight your way out, (laughs) you know? So definitely don't, with everything we give advice or when you're, uh, when we're talking, you know, don't swing the pendulum so far one way or the other, try to be moderate. Like you're saying, you know, give a little bit of room, but also don't make it up, you know, take a lot of time for people to get there, but yeah. And our GM, not he did a great job, and so I shouldn't I yeah. shouldn't say bad things about him because I'm just like, well, you did this, and we had to dash so much. Um, but 
and he didn't know that none of us had ranged attacks so that just kind of another thing like he he just sits down he doesn't know the characters that we're playing and so it's like yeah. i had a dagger to throw but that was the only ranged attack that i had oh other than like vicious mockery but i i had to be i couldn't see them because they were around a corner so i couldn't use vicious mockery even though it's got like a 60 foot range but uh yeah i don't know it's it's uh it's a delicate balance of of making that making that interesting for all characters i guess um, and that's interesting that you had the exact opposite problem that you can't be tactical because everybody's just right on top of each other right away. So, yeah, yeah. There's no point. There's no room to maneuver. Mm-hmm. Some, sometimes if you go too far one way and if you go too far the other way, you're right. It's like, we went five rounds and nobody's done anything yet. We're still moving up. Yeah. We're just moving. You know, we're not actually doing anything else because we're too far away. And then this won't happen for a couple weeks, but I think I'm going to actually put in an application to be a DM for Adventure League and try that out and see what happens. Because I know that they need Dungeon Masters um, because every table is usually like eight or nine people. And I think it's a max of eight, but there's always more people there than there should be. Um, so it would be it would be cool. And we'll see. Um, but I things that I'm super nervous about, I wrote them down. Um, new adventures almost all the time. So like you sit down and they're just like, okay, here, play this. And I have, you know, maybe 10 minutes to read through it. And then I have to run an adventure kind of like at a, I guess I could prep a little er faster than that if they give it to me ahead of time. But it always seems like the dungeon masters that show up, they're just like, oh, we desperately need a dungeon master tonight. Can you run this? And you're like, oh, okay. Um, And that would be nerve wracking for me, I think. And then having new players all the time and just huge tables, it kind of intimidate me, but I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to like dive in and I've been really active in this adventure league at my game store. And I think it'll be a lot of fun to, to dive in, but won't happen for a couple of weeks. Cause I'm going on vacation. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to make the, pl- I want to make the plunge too. eventually. I'm in fact, I might inquire about it when I go to my game store today and find out a little bit more information about it and see how I need to go down there and see what the atmosphere is like. Cause I, I, you know, there are, there are challenges to playing with people you've never met yep. um, on the spot playing. And if you're going to adventure league, you feel like you put this onus on yourself to know the rules. Yeah. Well. And I've been going That's over the thing. adventure league specific rules because they are like, I ask my DM all the time. I'm like, how do downtime days work again? Like, how does this, should I be getting renown points? Like, uh, and so, yeah. Yeah. So there's a little bit added pressure on to you to, to learn that stuff. But I think if you apply, you know, anybody that's thinking about doing it, if you just mm. apply yourself to it. It, it, it's not too hard to figure out. It's just, you got to take the time to figure it out type thing. Um, and it's a little bit different than playing with your friends. And, and, you know, it's a little bit, it's similar to playing convention games. I think, I think so too. Um, yeah. It's a little bit like that. Um, so I feel good about that. Cause I've been doing more and more of that, but that's a good way to practice one shots at conventions. Mm. Um, if you don't want to dive into the pool you just want to dip your foot in first that's a good way but i think at some point everybody should try adventure league or any of the living campaign numenera has i'm pretty sure a living campaign thing that's very similar going on Mm. lots of those games set up living campaigns where you have drop in drop out player games and you could host them at your your game store if you get it active and going so i think it's cool yeah well eight people's a lot say what Eight people is a lot. Can't eight people is a lot. Uh, and it seems like it's always eight people. But um, I think that is going to do it for us for the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Thank you guys so much for coming out. Uh, be sure to check in next week with special guest Jim Murphy. Correct? And uh, Lucian will be here with him. And that sounds like it's going to be a really great show. Uh, yeah. 
And be sure to record that so I can put it on YouTube later. <laughs> I will. <laughs> uh, thank you guys so again so much. Thanks for the bits. Thanks for the subscriptions. Uh, it really helps out uh, Lucian and the Saturday Morning D&D show in general. So it's really cool of you guys to be a part of that. And with that, uh, anything else you want to talk about or should we just take off? Nope. Just make sure you check us out on uh, Jordan's YouTube channel. He's got a bunch of videos there. I've got videos up on my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Mine is forward slash Sir Lucian and trying to get those subscriber bases up and trying to get people to click those like buttons and, and engage us in comments. That's the big thing. I think I like going yeah. back through and talking in those comments and, and keeping up with the community. Um, we've got lots of subscribers that are getting to play in one shot. So if you really like the channel and you're really thinking you want to play a game with us at some point, um, just keep letting us know. And I'm trying to schedule people in as we go. We've got yeah. this month's game and we got next month's already set up with two of our subscribers, I think. So it's going to be fun and we're yeah. going to keep doing that stuff. So it'd be pretty fun. So that's all I have. And it was great show. Guys. Great to see you guys. Thank you so much for coming out again. Bye-bye. Bye. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.